The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. Today we'd like to continue our thoughts and consideration of the topic of fear and uh, how we can, according to God's Word, conquer fear. And we've been trying to continue to consider the contrast between the fear of God and then the spirit of fear. Uh, that does not come from the Lord, but He's given us the power, love, and a sound mind to, to quench that and to, and to overcome that and trying to then consider a few um, ways in which that spirit of fear manifests itself, uh, the fear of the unknown, uh, the fear of being overwhelmed, stress, and uh, fear of death. We'll consider that next week, Lord willing. Today we want to talk about the fear of man, fear of man. And uh, Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25, uh, this is a big topic. Uh, we're going to have to paint, uh, paint with a broad brush today. Um, so uh, I think y'all probably know me well enough that I, uh, you know that I skip around probably more than I should, and so y'all probably give up on trying to keep up with me anyway, uh, but uh, probably especially so today. Uh, so uh, I have these notes available, and we can certainly provide them for you, but uh, I would encourage you to, to listen, uh, hopefully, to what we have to say. Don't spend all your time, all your time flipping. So... Uh, Proverbs chapter 29 and in verse 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Now, as we continue to think about this, continue to consider this, you know, the fear of man is something, and that has a lot of dynamics, a lot of aspects to that. Um, but at the end of the day, if we are more concerned about the acceptance and the approval of a man or a group of people, if we're more concerned about the fear of man than the fear of God, then we're reverencing man more than we're reverencing God. So if my ultimate desire is to be accepted by a certain person or by a group of people, then any type of disapproval that that person or that group of people may have, if I am more concerned and more afraid of being rejected by them or having a, a disapproval of a man more than I'm concerned about having the disapproval of God, it will inevitably lead me to sin. Okay? This is not an abstract thought. This is not um, an abstract discussion. If we allow the fear of man to dictate our actions, it will lead us to sin. It will lead us to compromise. Um, I was going to consider these a little bit later, but think about all of the examples 
that we have in the Word of God, when people get afraid, they make mistakes. And we know that why that's the case, right? There's, there's a lot of chemical, biological reasons for that. We're, uh, we are in an elevated sense of alertness and anxiety. Your blood pressure rises, your blood sugar rises, and you just don't process information the same way that you do when you're totally calm and, and able to assess the situation. So you get nervous and you don't think through things the way that you normally would. And think about all of the examples of people who got afraid and made mistakes, right? And the, we'll consider the fear of man in just a minute, but think about, you know, Peter, he's walking on the water, takes his eyes off Jesus, he gets afraid, he gets afraid, and all of a sudden he shifts his gaze from the Son of God to the waves, and what does he do? He begins to sink, right? Where, where did that come from? It came from the beginning stages of fear, of doubt and fear. Um, again, this is not talking about the fear of man, but um, when Peter, James, and John were uh, brought up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and they say Jesus being uh, the, the prefigures of him being glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. They get nervous, they get afraid, they get afraid, and then Peter says, we need to build three, three tabernacles. Well, that, that was a dumb, foolish thing to say. You want to know why he said that? Because he got scared, because he got afraid, and he wasn't thinking things through. Um, many examples of, of people um, that because they were afraid of the fear of man, they committed sin. Um, let's, uh, yeah, let's go to um, John, John chapter 7. Um, and I want to highlight some of this language here that uh, describes the way in which there were people that saw what Jesus was doing, okay? They saw the power with which he was displaying and manifesting these miracles, but because of the fear of man, and not just the fear of man, but fear of the repercussions of the decisions and the possible persecution of a few people in high positions of authority, because of the fear of man, they chose to not confess Jesus Christ. John chapter 7 and in verse uh, 13, verse 12 first, and there was a much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, he is a good man, others says, nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him, for fear of the Jews. They were afraid of the repercussions of openly confessing a belief in Jesus Christ. Then in John chapter 9, this is the blind man. He's healed. They go and they're trying to inquire with all these different people about how did this man get healed. And then they go to his parents. And they just plead the fifth. We don't know. Uh, we refuse to... Uh, say definitively even they knew what happened and the reason for that verse uh, 22 john chapter 9 these words spake his parents because they feared the jews for the jews had already agreed 
that if any man did confess that he was the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. And because of this fear of man, you know, think about Nicodemus. Nicodemus, why was it that he went to Jesus at night the first time? Why was it that he was unwilling to publicly profess a belief in Jesus Christ until after he was dead and he went and got the body of Jesus? Why? It was because of the fear of man. It was because of the fear of him of being persecuted by these Jews and being cast out of the synagogue. And again, I don't have time to really build this for you, but being cast out of the synagogue is not just, hey, you can't come to church on the Sabbath day. This, this is you losing your business. If you were self-employed, you would go bankrupt immediately. We just cannot understand the repercussions, the societal repercussions of you being blackballed in the Jewish community. It's not that you're not allowed to come to church on Sunday, okay? It's that you would be bankrupt, lose your business, and not be able to feed your kids and your family. That is the significance of that. And, and you know what? That's a reasonable, you know, as a, uh, as a father in that day and a responsible uh, person that's responsible for providing my, for my family, you know, that would be hard. That would be hard. But the, uh, the blessings in the kingdom are well worth the sacrifice that they would be willing to make. But I'll tell you, some people weighed those pros and those cons and they said, I can't risk it. I can't risk it. I can't risk confessing Jesus Christ. And you want to know why that they chose to sin by not confessing Jesus Christ publicly? Because of the fear of man and the repercussions of, of the fear of man. Uh, back in the Old Testament, Abraham, he goes, he does this twice. He does it, uh, I think, uh, to Pharaoh, and then uh, I think the second time may have been Abimelech, but he was afraid. Uh, you know, he's blessed like uh, some of us with a, with a beautiful wife and he was terrified that when uh, he went in there they're going to see how beautiful my wife is and they're going to kill me well that was not going to happen why because they hadn't had a son yet there was a promise of God that uh, and by the way where does this stem from why did Abraham choose to lie why did Abraham choose to sin why did, faith, uh, why did fear creep in because of a lack of faith in the promise of God. The reasoning by faith should have been, you know what, in a natural sense, I may be afraid that these guys may hurt me, but I know they're not going to kill me because God has told me that I'm going to have a seed that's going to be as vast as the stars of heaven and the sand of the sea. And I haven't had a kid yet, so therefore they're clearly not going to kill me. <laughs> that's the reasoning of faith. And by the way, how do we conquer that spirit of fear? With power and love and a sound mind. To be able to reason that by faith. That you know what? God promised me that I'm going to have a son. I don't have a son yet. They're not going to kill me. So I don't have to sin. I don't have to lie. And then, like father, like son, unfortunately, Isaac did the exact same thing. They shouldn't have gone down to Egypt to start with. They went down to the Egypt uh, and... He lied and did the exact same thing as his dad. Why did he do that? Because he was afraid. By the way, when talking about how all this stuff is interconnected, the fear of man, the fear of the unknown, culminated by the fear of death. <laughs> and all those things were packaged together, and they were afraid at the end of the day that they would be killed. And they let that fear dictate their decision-making, and what did it lead them to do? To lie. To sin. Um, Peter. Peter got afraid. 
um, when he was confronted by um, people on the night that Jesus was arrested. Um, he was afraid. The boldness that he displayed in so many other situations, he was afraid of what uh, those that little bitty maiden that was asking him, aren't you one of his disciples? And he said, I know not the man. He was so afraid of this little bitty, little bitty girl. And what she thought and the repercussions of that, the fear of man led him to lie and to sin and to, uh, to deny Jesus Christ. And um, just as a side note, that no one is isolated from the fear. The, the, spirit, um, the spirit of fear that we've been discussing, all these different aspects, it doesn't come from God, right? 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says that. The fear of God comes from the Lord, and children of God have that capacity to fear the Lord. But these fears are truly fears of the world that everyone is subject to, even the unregenerate, right? I mean, there's plenty of people that are born again by the Spirit of God. They're afraid of the unknown. They're afraid of the future. They're afraid of being overwhelmed. They're sure enough afraid of death. We, we have the, the blessed truth to not be afraid of death because we have the hope of the resurrection because Jesus Christ was resurrected. But they don't have that. And they also still have a fear of man. It's very interesting. Um, the wicked Pharisees um, that were conspiring to try to uh, harm and arrest Jesus. Um, this is in Matthew 21 verses uh, 20. Let's jump in here. Verse 25. Um, and they reasoned with themselves saying, if we say and Jesus asked them, what's the baptism? The baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from the earth? And they reasoned among themselves, if we say from heaven. Now, the reason why they were, they're displaying the fear of man too. You want to know the real reason that they uh, are afraid of the fear of man? Is they were afraid of the political winds. <laughs> okay, they were afraid that the, the, the popular opinion would shift against them and that would lose them a position of power and influence. So, they're... They're evaluating, you know, this is our little straw poll of how we think our answer will be perceived by the people. If we say from heaven, he will say unto us, why did ye not then believe? But if we say of men, we fear the people, for all men hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and says, we cannot tell. <laughs> We're going to refuse to answer the question. Why? Because even they were afraid of man. They were afraid of, of losing their position of influence because the people would turn against them because they knew the people uh, deemed and viewed John as a prophet and they did not want to say anything that would make the mob and the fear of man turn against them. Okay, So this, these kind of fears that we've been discussing are not solely problems that the child of God has to deal with. These are just simply manifestations of the fear of the world. But we have the capacity to conquer these fears through the weapons of our warfare are not, are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, you know, for the person that does not have 
the hope in Jesus Christ. That's why people get so overwhelmed if they don't have a hope in Jesus Christ. If they get so overwhelmed by these kind of things that they end up harming themselves or taking their own life because they don't have these bedrock truths to be able to process this natural fear that's inevitable in the entire world, but the children of God have the means to process that in the right way, okay? So when we talk about the fear of man, it's not just like, oh, don't be afraid of what people think. Don't, don't be afraid of man. If we allow the fear of man or the opinions of others to be the primary determining factor of our decision-making, we will compromise and we will inevitably sin against the Lord, okay? This is not an abstract discussion. And there's many other examples that we could give you of people that it started with the seed of doubt, it started with the seed of fear, and inevitably led to sin, okay? Now, before we uh, go any farther, I I do want to highlight one specific aspect of the fear of man that we don't want to spend a tremendous amount of time on uh, because praise the Lord and his providence and his goodness and his grace is not overly applicable to us in America. And that's the fear of governmental authorities. And, you know, for the church and for Baptists in times past, this was a very relevant discussion. And by, by God's providence and his grace and his hedge of protection, Praise God, the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights. In America, this has not been as relevant of a discussion. But if the time comes where there are there is governmental intrusion into our personal lives or in the church, at the end of the day, we have a command to obey God and rather than man. You know, we we don't have the option to compromise the truth of God's word if governmental edicts run contrary to the word of God. And we can't let the fear of man dictate our service to God. At the end of the day, we, we ought to obey God rather than man. That was the conclusion of the disciples there in Acts chapter 5 and in verse 29 uh, when they were being threatened to not preach. A couple examples really quickly. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, when... Uh, the three Hebrew men were uh, commanded to bow down to a false idol. They said, no, we're going to fear God more than we're going to fear man, right? We're going to fear God more than we're going to fear Nebuchadnezzar. And they refused to compromise. They feared God instead of fearing the king. And the Lord delivered them in a mighty way by him personally coming in uh, and delivering them out of the burning, fiery furnace, right? chapters later, Daniel chapter 6, the enemies of Daniel changed the law to make it, make it illegal to pray unto any other God for a period of time. Did, did that cause uh, the fear of man? Did that cause Daniel, number one, to quit opening up his window toward Jerusalem and pray? Number one, he didn't stop doing it, but also he kept his windows open too. <laughs> you know, he could have easily closed those windows, but you know what? I'm not going to let the fear of man dictate my bold, public confession and service to the Lord. And, and you know what? He was thrown in the lion's den, and the Lord delivered him out of the lion's den, right? At the end of the day, 
We ought to obey God rather than man. And I just want to publicly praise the Lord for His providence and for His goodness and His grace to us and to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in America that that's not really a relevant concern here in 2024 America. Praise God for that. Okay? <clears throat> I want to go to the Psalms. <clears throat> Much of, uh, many of the Psalms were written by David, and boy, he had a real reason to have the fear of man because there was a physical person. There was a king. Uh, you know, this wasn't just a an, an enemy that uh, had it out for him and didn't have any resources. This was the king, the monarch. And Saul was galvanizing his entire kingdom to take the life of David. And again, all of this co-mingles. Um, the fear of man and the fear of the unknown, of I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and then obviously for David, ultimately culminating in the, in the fear of death. I mean, he... Uh, you know, yes, it's true for us that you know life is a vapor, and uh, we could we could all pass away today or tomorrow. But boy, it took a whole new relevance for David when he wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Psalms. There's but a step between me and death. I mean, if I if I'm not too uh, careful and I peek out around a corner and somebody sees me, they could kill me. I mean, literally, <laughs> one step could literally impact whether he lived or died. And I can just only imagine the physical burden and terror that went along with that. Psalm 27, um, there's a lot of these verses that I know that we, we recite, we, um, we quote, and uh, at least for me, Sometimes I don't necessarily think about the specific pronouns that are being used that are describing not just a general abstract fear, but the fear of man, okay? Um, Psalm 27, verse 1. I feel like we all probably know this, this verse, this psalm pretty well, um, and you probably even know this verse pretty well. The Lord is my light and my salvation. But notice this, not, not what, not what, whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Not what. Whom? In Romans chapter 8, we have the covenant of redemption, and at the, at the end of the day, we should uh, not be afraid uh, of what man can do to us because there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. But you go there through, uh, through Romans chapter 8, and it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of people that could fall into this, into this who category. But again, it's not what can separate us. It's, we're not talking about things. Ultimately, we're talking about people. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up freely for us all, how shall not he with him freely give us all things? Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? 
verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? For I am persuaded neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities uh, nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature. No whom, no whoms, no by, no, no people and also not Satan falls in that category. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hebrews chapter 13. We all take comfort in the fact and the beautiful truth. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. That God will not, never leave us or forsake us. Verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with the things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yea and amen. That we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That's the immediate admonition right there. That, yes, God is going to be with me in every circumstance. and He's going to be my helper. And it doesn't matter what man says he's going to do to me. God's not going to leave me or forsake me. All these verses that highlight the who's. It highlights the people, right? Because it's inevitable that the fear of man will creep in and cause us to compromise the truth of God's Word. Um, so many examples uh, throughout the Psalms. Um, I'm going to highlight a few of them for you. Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It's better to put confidence in the Lord to put confidence in man. It's better to put... Uh, to trust in the Lord and then put confidence in princes. They compassed me about. I mean, it, it doesn't, from my perspective, it doesn't look that good. It looks pretty dangerous, but you know what? In the name of the Lord will I trust, and the Lord will destroy them. In uh, Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus is encouraging the disciples, the apostles, and he's going to send them out, uh, send them out two by two, but there's going to come a time later where. Um, you're going to be called up. This feeds back into the fear of uh, governmental authorities. Uh, there's going to come a time, he says, beware of men, for they will, which by the way, notice there, he says, beware of men. I mean, a, a reverence and a fear of the Lord and a lack of the fear of man doesn't mean that you act reckless, right? I mean, when the Apostle Paul was told that there were men Seems like it may have been 40 men. I can't remember. But they covenanted. They made an oath that we are not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. Well, you know what? When he heard that, he didn't just stand in front of them and say, you know what? I trust the Lord by faith. I'm not afraid of you. You know what he did? In his wisdom from the sound mind that the Lord gave him, he got out of town, right? So, you know, we have the ability to use that sound mind and uh, us standing up by faith is not always looking somebody in the eye that wants to physically harm us. No. Walking by faith sometimes is just, you know what, I'm just going to gonna go to the next city like the Apostle Paul did, okay? But he says here, beware of men, but don't be afraid of men. So, see what I'm saying there? You need to acknowledge that there could be danger in this situation, but don't be afraid of them. Beware of them, but don't be afraid of them. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. You know? Uh, I bet that was very disconcerting for them to hear the first time. 
I mean, not only are you going to be brought up uh, on charges that are false, but you will be physically beaten and persecuted because of not something that I signed up for. God chose you as an apostle to be called unto this work. God chose you unto this. But you know what? Even though, <laughs> I think I told you before, that it's a tremendous blessing for the Lord to not tell us what tomorrow holds. Well, these guys had a little bit of a foretaste of what tomorrow really held. And boy, if I knew tomorrow held me being scourged, you know, if I wasn't walking by faith and trusting the Lord, boy, it, it'd get me all, it'd get me all tore up. <laughs> so, by the way, this, pro this might be a little reminder for you of what a blessing it is that we don't know what tomorrow holds. <laughs> Because he did, he did tell them what tomorrow held. And don't be afraid of that. Verse 22 there in Matthew 10. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Fear not them. Verse 26, therefore, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill, cure, <clears throat> excuse me, to kill the soul but rather fear him that is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. What he's saying there is fear God, don't fear man, right? When you're caught up, and I can only imagine, again, the, just the physical uh, side effects that go along with being called up before councils, possibly with the death penalty on the line, you know? And, and outside of the peaceful presence <laughs> of the Holy Spirit. He tells them on later on there too that um, you don't need to be afraid about what you're going to say in that setting because I'm going to give you the words to say. Because in a natural sense, you want to talk about getting cotton mouth <laughs> and not being able to get any words out. Under natural circumstances, you probably couldn't. But you know what? The Lord was going to give them a special portion of grace to not be overwhelmed with fear in that moment. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit where you can answer when you're called upon in this special way, okay? But ultimately, he's saying, when you're standing up before that council, you need to have the fear of God in your mind, not the fear of man. Not the fear of what might happen or what could possibly happen by this, um, this governmental leader. <clears throat> I have a, uh, a note on my phone that I try to look at periodically with a lot of these verses in it that's entitled, God Pleasers, Not Man Pleasers. And um, it's inevitable that we all have um, a desire um, to generally be liked. You know, I mean, I, it's pretty disconcerting to have the Lord say, you will be hated of all, men, uh, of all men for my name's sake. Well, praise God, we know that not everywhere that all is in the Bible means all, right? <laughs> We're thankful there are people that are committed to the cause of Christ, and even if we have to stand up for the truth of God's word, um, there will still be people that, that will love us, that won't hate us, um, that are also committed to the cause of Christ. 
But one aspect of the fear of men that is so relevant to all of us is that we are, we have a tendency to be afraid of what the opinions of other people might be and being ostracized from a specific group or uh, there's, there's a lot of ramifications in specific circumstances that could come from a person trying to retaliate in some way. So we have, we all have a susceptibility. We all have a tendency to want to compromise a little bit to, to maybe not have to deal with some of that uh, being ostracized or conflict. You know, I, I don't, I don't enjoy conflict. If you do love conflict and you love um, division and strife being stirred up all the time, I certainly pray the Lord will give you a spirit of repentance to realize that there's a good chance that you're the main problem. <laughs> but thankfully I know that that's not any of you. But we all have a tendency. We all have a tendency to want to be accepted. But Jesus said, careful. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Because if you're primary determining factor, okay, um, we, we need to be wise as serpents and, ho and harmless as doves. You know, we don't need to be jerks just to be jerks. Right? But you know what? You cannot make everybody happy in this world. If you serve the Lord, if you serve the Lord and do not compromise His word, there will be people who will not speak well of you, even if it's um, even if it's not justified, even if it's just slander, even if it's just gossip. Okay, and we have to be comfortable with that. Like we we have to accept the fact that if I serve the Lord and I'm faithful to His Word, that there will be some people who will speak negatively about me, even if it's not true. And I cannot let my fear of what they think, of their opinions, or even of the supposed gossip that they may uh, spread about me that may not, hopefully is not true. I cannot let that be a determining factor to compromise the fear of the Lord and the service of the Lord. Okay? Um, Feels like it's been quite a few years now. Um, there was a minister friend of mine that I was messaging and asking his counsel on a specific decision that uh, we were trying to make, and and uh, he texted back with this quote that just that just struck me uh, so heavily, and it's been such a blessing to me. Uh, I don't have time to read all these quotes, so it's nice to be able to. Uh, extract information for people that do ha and that I certainly even if I have read this quote I certainly wouldn't be able to just pull it out of the air in the middle of a general conversation but this is a quote from C.H. Spurgeon okay C.H. Spurgeon if we can have the approbation just the approval of God if we can have the approval of God together with a placid conscience the approval of God with a peaceful conscience, we can afford to be indifferent to the opinions of men 
whether they commend or condemn, if we cannot reach this point, we are babes and not men. What he's saying there is that Christian maturity, growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ, is having that sound mind and having the ability through spiritual wisdom, not through pride. I want to make sure we highlight that. Not through pride, because it's very easy for us to get so prideful to think that I'm the only one that's right and I'm the only one that's serving the Lord and everybody else is wrong. Well, if you feel that way, you're, you're probably the problem. That's pride, okay? But if with humility, circumstances come where I'm forced to make an unpopular decision and I know based on prayer and counsel of God's word and counsel of the multitude of counselors, I feel burdened that even though this is going to be hard, even though this is going to be difficult, many times the right thing is the hard thing, okay? And just because it's hard doesn't mean, and, and, I, and I'm concerned about what somebody else might think about that. I cannot let that be the primary determining factor of my decision making. Now, using a wisdom of a sound mind, you need to consider it, right? You don't need to be a bull in a china shop. And, and you know what? We may agree to disagree, but we have an obligation always to speak the truth in love. And even if I know that this person is not going to agree with this hard choice that I'm having to make, I have every bit of control of how I present that to them in love, right? I don't, I don't come and just, you know, present it in such a way that I don't care what you think, I don't care what anybody else thinks, I'm serving the Lord, I'm right, you're wrong. That's called sin right there. So I have the ability to present, even in a, in a situation where we may disagree, I have the ability to present that in such a way to speak the truth in love to hopefully draw them in to understand that this is the right thing to do, okay? But Christian maturity, that's what he says. If we don't reach the point where we're more concerned about the approval of God than the approval of men, then we're just, we are perpetually babes in Christ. Growth and maturity is having the ability through spiritual wisdom and a sound mind and faith in the Word of God and through the multitude of counselors to discern what the right decision is in a specific circumstance and bathe that in prayer and approach it with the fear of the Lord. And I'll tell you, sometimes we have to make the hard decisions that are not popular and we cannot let the Opinions of what somebody else might think. Again, that's, that's some of that fear of the unknown funneling into that too, right? We, we have projections of how someone might respond, how, what they might think. And I'll tell you, if you approach things in the right way, many times, especially even if you have to deliver hard things, if you deliver it with grace and your, your speech is seasoned with salt and with grace as you present it, many times... I've been all nervous and worked up about my assumptions about how somebody was going to respond to a situation. And you know what? Lo and behold, by the grace of God and hopefully me delivering it in a, in a way that was honorable to the Lord, 
they received it in a, in a very positive way. And all that nervousness and all that fear I had on the front end, it was useless. Why? Because the Lord blessed the situation. You see? So part of Christian maturity is having the ability to not be pulled. You know, it describes the fear of the world as being in torment. And if you are pulled in a thousand different directions because of the opinions of a thousand different people, you will be in continual torment and bondage. Okay? Now, now, with wisdom and with a sound mind, we need to assess the opinions of others. And you know what? Some, if I know that or I, or I think that this is going to be a difficult situation, I need to be very purposeful to go out of my way to deliver this in a kind and a loving way. Because of my discernment, I know it may not be well received on the other end. So there's a tremendous amount of wisdom and a sound mind that goes along with this. But if, if we are totally controlled by the opinions of others, you will be pulled in a thousand different directions and you will never have any peace. What is the primary approval source that we need to be concerned about? The fear of the Lord, right? The Lord's opinion of this situation. And if we can reach the point where I'm truly more concerned about the fear of the Lord than the fear of man, that's Christian maturity. That's what C.H. Spurgeon was describing there in that quote. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, Do I now seek to persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. If my primary concern is just pleasing everybody around me, will you give that enough time? You're going to cease to be the servant of Christ. You're going to be the servant of other people. And, and it will inevitably lead you to sin. Guaranteed. If we don't reverence the Lord first and foremost. 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> Begin reading in verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves. Um, that's not what I'm looking at. Oh, 1 Corinthians 4. Y'all probably turned to the right place. Let's try that again. 1 Corinthians 4. <clears throat> Verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. He's talking specifically about the ministry here. We are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. You know, at the end of the day, um, again, ministry is called to be kind and loving and gracious, and we serve the church, but ultimately, we answer to the Lord. The ministry answers to the Lord. Why? Because we're stewards of what the Lord has given us. We're not stewards of your stuff. We're stewards of the Lord's mysteries. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. <clears throat> Verse 3. 
but with me. He says, this is my determination. And I think this is the right balance. This is the right balance. You know, I, I am not, because I've certainly interacted with people that are so prideful that they say, I don't care what anybody thinks. Well, you know what? You will be very detrimental to the kingdom of God if you don't care what anybody thinks. You will be very detrimental to the kingdom. But the Apostle Paul says, but with me, I counted a very small thing that I'd be judged of you. You know, I acknowledge it, but at the end of the day, it's not at the top of my pecking order, you know? Um, because ultimately, he continues on here, I counted a very small thing to be judged of you or of any man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. He's the one. The Lord is going to determine if I'm in the right or I'm in the wrong here. And I'll tell you, uh, it, you know, there's plenty of times that I've been unpopular in the opinions of, of men or in certain circles. But if I have that placid conscience that I know I've done the right thing, even if there's a few people that may not be, be all that excited about it, that's what matters. Now, I would, I would encourage you, always approach that attitude with humility. <laughs> always approach that attitude with humility because that could easily, easily become pride. Okay? But I think this has the right balance. I, I don't just have such pride to look at people around me and say, I don't care what anybody thinks. No, I acknowledge maybe your concerns or maybe your disagreement, but at the end of the day, I count it a small thing in comparison, in comparison to the opinion of the Lord, okay? The Lord's opinion is ultimately what matters. And I'll just tell you again, the danger of this, the danger of this. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Here the Apostle Paul has to rebuke Peter because Peter, you know, he knew this. He, he was willing uh, to accept the Gentiles. You know, when he saw them in the street, he treated them like any other church member should. Um, I'm excited to see you. I'm going to shake your hand. I'm going to hug your neck. I'm going to ask how you're doing. And I'm just going to be excited to see you because that's how it should be in the kingdom of God, right? And, and Peter knew better than anybody that uh, the Gentiles had been grafted into the kingdom because he was the one who the Lord called to spearhead opening the gospel to the Gentiles when he went and preached to Cornelius, right? And by the way, this, this also tells you how it doesn't matter how bold and strong we have been in the past, we can all have moments of susceptibility to compromise because of the fear of man, even if we've been bold in the past. You know, it was a very unpopular decision for Peter to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit to go and preach to Cornelius in the first place. And he went back to Jerusalem and he preached with demonstration of the Spirit and power. And he said the Holy Spirit uh, came down on them just like it did on us on the day of Pentecost. And the people, the, the Jews who were originally skeptical, they received that and they said, praise God that the Gentiles have now received the gospel. But guess what? There were some men that never fully accepted that. Okay? But Peter, in times past, he had stood against the opposition. He'd done the right thing. 
And he boldly said, this is what the Lord called me to do. And look how the Lord blessed. But you know what? In this time, he was, when he was there in town, he was treating the Gentiles just like he would uh, any good Christian church member. But then he got a report that there were some very legalistic, hard-nosed Jews that were coming to town. And because he was afraid of them and afraid of what they were may think, now when he's, when he's walking uh, in the marketplace with those legalistic, tradition-held Jews, now when he sees that Gentile in the street, he ignores them and acts like he doesn't know them. He totally ostracized the Gentiles because that, now let's listen, these Jews that came from a Jerusalem, they were in the wrong. They were in the wrong. They had the wrong perspective. But you know what? Peter let the fear of those men, the fear of what they would think, the fear, hey, <laughs> there's no new thing under the sun, the fear of the gossip train of the ministry, he let the fear of that compromise him. And, 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 and when Paul heard about it, you know, there are some things, and I will say most things, most, most rebuke needs to be done in private. Okay, most rebuke needs to be done in private. But I'll tell you, public sins need public rebukes. And Paul was so hot about this that he withstood Peter to his face because he was to be blamed. And listen, it got to the core of the gospel. And that's what Paul was concerned about. It wasn't just that Peter was afraid of what those men would think and he was playing politics and playing favorites. The, the heart of the gospel that God loves uh, people out of every nation kindred. He doesn't just love Jews. These, these traditional uh, legalistic Jews that were unwilling to accept the truth of God's word and hold on to their tradition instead, they were compromising the truth of the gospel. And Peter compromised it in the public way, and he had to be rebuked publicly. You want to know, what, you want to know what's bad? Not only did Peter do that, it says that Barnabas was caught up in the... And you want to talk... There is nowhere outside of here in the entire New Testament where anything is negative said about Barnabas. The only thing you could even say that, that was a little bit... And, and this is just showing how great of a man he was. You had this conflict between Paul and Barnabas because John Mark left him on their first missionary journey. Uh, Barnabas, John Mark was his nephew, but he tried to give John Mark a second chance. And Paul said, I'm not giving him a second chance. I need people who are all in if they're coming on me on next trip. So the only conflict that Barnabas, he was the son of consolation. The only conflict that Barnabas had with anybody was him standing up for a weak little brother and giving him a second chance. So number one, Peter had stood boldly in the past, but you know what? He heard about those legalistic strife, division, stirring up preachers that were coming from Jerusalem. And he said, you know what? I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. I'll just, they're only going to be here for a few days. I'll just ignore the Gentiles for a few days. And when Paul heard about it, he caught him on the carpet. Okay? But you know what? All sin all sin is pervasive. It spreads. And this may, this may seem like a very small thing, but because 
Peter was afraid of men. You want to know who got caught up in that sin? Barnabas got caught up in that sin. One of the most faithful men in the entire New Testament. Why? Because Peter was unwilling to just stand up and say, you know what? I'm going to tell you the same thing I told you a few years ago. <laughs> these Gentiles are just as much members of the church as any of these Jews back in Jerusalem, right? He should have stood up to the people who were really in the wrong. These Jews from Jerusalem were in the wrong. But because of the fear of man, he was, he was afraid to do that. And then Barnabas gets caught up in this mess because he's afraid to stand up for the truth of God's word. I think I'll just conclude in the place that we began, which is in Proverbs 29. I think this is a, this is a topic and subtopics that we could spend multiple weeks on, but I think that this, where we, where we began, is where we'll end by just summarizing this topic yet again. Proverbs 29 and in verse 25, the fear of man brings a snare. It's going to cause you to stumble. You know, I think about um, some movies or some cartoons where someone's walking in the um, in the woods and they get their foot caught in one of those traps that like clamps on their foot. Now, how profitable do you think you're going to be in um, walking worthy of your vocation, of running your race with patience, walking and running? How well do you think you're going to run while you got that metal clamp snare on your leg? It's probably not going to go very well, right? The fear of man is a snare, but that's contrasted with whoso, whosoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. What's the remedy for that? It's faith, right? He put his, his trust in the Lord. You know, I, God is well able. God is well able if we do the right thing, even when it's difficult, and we do it with the right attitude, with humility, and with grace, and with love, He is well able to handle all of the repercussions that you think might happen. He's well able to handle that. And I think he's faithful to be worthy of our trust to handle that, right? We cannot be dictated solely by the fear of men. Um, don't, don't be a jerk. Don't be a bull in a china shop. But at the end of the day, I hope that you can reach the level of spiritual maturity to count it a small thing to be judged of men in comparison of being judged of the Lord. Because I'll tell you, if you've been on the other side of it, <laughs> if you've been on the other side of it, where I did let the opinions of others dictate my decision making, and I did something that I didn't stand up as boldly as I should, I should have spoken, but I chose to keep my mouth shut, whatever the situation is, let me tell you, the chastisement and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the Lord as your judge in your conscience is much worse than any external repercussions you can have from the opinions of men here in this world. Okay? Reverence God. 
And primarily, the fear of God is our primary decision-making factor. The fear of God is not the fear of man. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.